Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast, a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, discuss some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. And I want to get something out of the way real quick, because like a week or two ago, somebody texted me and was like, this podcast does not have three different generations in it. And I just want to clear things up that I am a Gen Z. Uh, I am a millennial. And Nick is a boomer. Nick is a Gen X. (laughs) Nick is a Gen X. I'm the generation that nobody cares about. The only generation that people care about less than mine was that what is now called boomers used to be divided into boomers and what they called busters, which was the much smaller generation born after the baby boom, which was like really small. And then they just erased them. They're just like, oh, they're just boomers basically. And so other than the baby busters, the Gen X is like the next least cared about um, generation, though we are now increasingly ruling things. Yeah, it's, it's a shame as well. Ever since but Mark that, Zuckerberg like came on the scene, you know, he's a he's a is he a millennial? He's a millennial. He's a millennial. He created yeah. Facebook. Nobody from your generation created Facebook. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> the, anyways, anyways, we'll Let's we'll t- we'll get into the we'll get into the Let's we'll get, get into the, the pod. Point, um, this this is a, another exciting one. We're going to be doing dating part three, and we have a guest with us, Christina Flaherty. Thank you for joining us, Christina. You're welcome. Hi, everyone. Yep. Hi. Um, this is John's John's uh, fiance as of like a month ago, right? Something as of like February 28th. As of February. And you guys have only known each other for about six months. Five before we, five before we got engaged. Now six. That's, that yeah, is... on, the, on the fourth of this month, we celebrated knowing each other for six months. Which was exciting. Day gone. I would just like to reiterate for those who maybe who don't know, but I introduced them. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and we're we're very so, thankful, Nick. We are very thankful. Yeah. To be clear. Yeah. But yeah, I, inter- so, I introduced them to each other. Like I told them about each other and then I helped them meet. That's good. That's good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, okay, so is, so this is it a little. <laughs> you gotta hold, hold it, keep it together, to... Christina. All right, yeah. So go go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let me do my job. Let me do my job, guys. Uh, okay. Basically, okay. Yeah. So this is a good one. We're gonna be talking about dating again. This is part three of the dating series. Uh, even though I think after the second one, we said we weren't going to, I think I might've said I wasn't going to do another dating one. Until yeah. You I said we decided. weren't going to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> until at, least, at least until Andy gets a girlfriend. That's right. So then for another only dating si- podcast, <laughs> but that'll be in like 50 years. So we don't, we can, we can wait a while. Um, Welcome to the optic podcast. Here's how to do an ideal first date. Like the one. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Okay. So I do, so we can just get this started. We can, uh, right away. Uh, I have some questions for Christina. Um, because, because the dating podcast, as we know, they're definitely the most popular of all these, uh, these ones that we've put out and the most controversial as well. Most listened to perhaps. Yeah. The most listened to, I guess. I mean, wouldn't that be the most popular as well? I don't know. Um, yeah. And so, the, I, I have some questions for you, Christina, because I think like when, when we listen to John talk about about the dating podcast, like the dating paradigm, he's very like, like, bo- like methodical and like, boom, boom, boom. You got it. Like, like, it's like a, like a drill surgeon, like sometimes. And very much almost so. like well, he was an engineering student like, in college. Did you say like a drill surgeon? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> no. <laughs> that, yeah, you know when I, surgeons use those drills in in surgery, they just yes, they drill in to make holes to help people. A drill surgeon, and they have to be very careful and orderly. I am ready Gosh. to answer questions. When right, thank you. This has become like a roast session. We just roast each other. So, anyways, um, so Christina, okay. when you first heard about like the paradigm, when John first explained it to you, like how he thought about dating. Christianly speaking, and what his convictions were about it. How did you feel? What were your responses? What did you think? That's literally my first question. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> um, my first response, well, I have a lot to say. Um, 
one, I I think it's very weird that it's called the paradigm, and that's always weirded me out. It continues to weird me out. I think it keeps people from buying into the paradigm because it has such a cultish name, but I do realize it needs to have a title so we can talk we can talk about it without saying everything it is. We're open to nominations, by the way, up for titles. Well, I couldn't think of anything better. So the paradigm it is. Um, But when he first, he like brought it up on the first date. He's like, so what do you, what does it look like for you to date? And so, and I like gave this terrible answer, wishy-washy. Oh, you, you get to know each other intentionally. And then you decide if you want to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And he's like, hmm, I disagree. Here's what I think. And then he just listed all like the main points of the paradigm. And I I laughed out loud. He said he said uh, kind of weird things to Santa first date. Like, I'm looking for a wife. I don't want to waste your time. Uh, what else did you say? Um, I, mean, I, I, I did specifically. I did specifically say I'm not interested in finding a girlfriend. I'm interested in finding a wife. And I, you did laugh at that. I, I was so shocked. I was like, oh. Okay, okay, here we go. We're talking about real things. Um, and But it actually made me feel really respected. It, I felt like, wow, he, he wants to treat me right. Okay, this is really uh, unknown and kind of almost silly. It's so unknown, um, but I liked it. Yeah, it is important, I think, for Christian women to realize there's a difference between a man who says, I'm interested in finding a wife, not a girlfriend, who is just engaging in a ploy to try to get you to sleep with him, and a guy who has the character to say that and mean it and then not put his hands on you. And that distinction is very important. Right. I mean, I think that was another thing that you, that as we were looking at this, that you sort of laughed out loud at on the first date was I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said some sort of reference about how I wouldn't have rights to your body. And, uh, it was so weird to say. It was so weird that he said that, but it was great. <laughs> Just lay it all out there. Yeah. I, I want to ask a question. Uh, I, I kind of want to get into this like right away because uh, this is something that really bothered me when you guys were dating or, or whatever you guys were doing because I don't even know if we can call it the dating paradigm anymore for this reason and this reason only is that after, I don't know how long it was, you guys decided that you were going to call each other girlfriend and boyfriend. And like, it felt like the whole point of the dating paradigm was so you don't get caught in an exclusive relationship because that's like unnecessary and you don't really like, it just really bad things happen most of the time. And so you like one day John came to me at church and was like, yeah, dude, we're, we're like boyfriend and girlfriend. We're saying boyfriend and girlfriend now. And I was really, really pissed off. Why, why, why? Like, why the change? Why? Why did you guys change that? Or like, what? What was that all about? Well, John didn't want to be like a drill surgeon, you know, <laughs> about language. <laughs> um, okay, I have I have like an extended response to this, so just stop me and interrupt me at any time. But like, the foundation of the bar- the paradigm is to date in a biblical way, and like right above that is, and John, you can jump in if you want to change it is like less physical intimacy and less entitlement for the sake of less entanglement if you do end up breaking up and for like a focus on make a wise clear efficient decision whether or not you're going to marry and so that's like layer two after being biblical and then layer three is like the specific things of don't kiss until you're married or engaged or just limit your physical interaction and um, avoid the term boyfriend and girlfriend. But the purpose of avoiding the term boyfriend and girlfriend is to avoid entitlement to each other and um, to prolong the pre-engagement period. Are there other reasons I'm missing? Yeah, I mean, those are the main ones. And like the... I think like the way we've said it in the previous podcast was like avoiding a sense of like obligated um, uh, exclusivity, like that, that you are, you are obligated in your exclusivity to me. I am obligated in my exclusivity to you. And so part of it is to, is to avoid that. So, so right. So like to avoid it, avoid entitlement. 
So when we decided to finally have the term boyfriend and girlfriend, we were not going to compromise on any of those like second layer reasons uh, uh, or purposes of the paradigm. But just like I've compromised and I now call this dating thing the paradigm. So we have an ease. It's easier to talk about. Like it finally got to the point where it was it was embarrassing how hard it was to explain who John was in my life. And um, people didn't have time to hear all the specifics or maybe I didn't know someone to like engage in a really extended conversation of John is the person I'm going on dating activities with because we're trying to have eyes wide open and decide whether or not we want to marry them. And um, I also felt like if we didn't have the term boyfriend and girlfriend, we would end up on here's a metaphor for you one side of the river engaged and we would look back at our community and be like hey guys we're engaged over here and they would look across the river and have no way to join us in that new idea and giving them the term boyfriend and girlfriend for a season was like a bridge to like help them come over to where we are yes we are engaged now if culture was different um, maybe we wouldn't have had to do that. We wouldn't have had to be boyfriend and girlfriend. John was willing to never be boyfriend and girlfriend. He's like, peace. We're at the other side of the river. You don't understand why we're here. I don't care. I do care. I want people to be there with us and like engage in that process with us. So we eventually took the term boyfriend, girlfriend, the title. I mean, couldn't you have just said we're dating when somebody asked, who is this? You'd be like, oh yeah, we're dating. This is John. Like that, I mean, that's like a pretty simple. I mean, way the to same, do that. the same thing would, the same thing would happen. Is it's like who? It's like oh, who's Christina? Like oh, sh- this is the this is the girl I'm dating, and people are like, what is what does that mean? Which we did say. I mean, right. we weren't like overly using the terms, and we weren't like clinging to the terms or like finding an identity in the terms. But uh, like I explained the paradigm to my brother-in-law, and he was like. Oh, so you're boyfriend and girlfriend, but you're not calling it that. Oh, that's stupid. Okay. And I was like, okay, you missed the point I'm trying to make, but you also have a point. We are in a relationship where we are romantically interested in each other and we spend a lot of time together. In fact, we're going to get engaged in a month. It, it just, yeah, we wanted to use the title. Yeah, I think it might sound like I'm like nitpicking and stuff like that. But I think that what's important, like the reason why I was so frustrated with it, when I when I heard that you guys like changed that was because, um, like, I felt like the the importance of how like we use our words and how we talk, like that can shape how people start to understand certain concepts and certain things. And like, the huge, the huge thing about the dating paradigm was that there was no boyfriend and girlfriend, which is how the world dates now. They date in boyfriend and girlfriend. And so when you say boyfriend and girlfriend, whether you're, you mean something different or not, 99.9% of people are going to be like, Oh, this is an exclusive relationship. And I know, and it sounds like I'm nitpicking. I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to like, I trying to wrap my head around. Like, I don't know. I I'm on the side of John. If I'm on the other side of the river and people don't understand, I literally don't care. I, I don't I care understand. at all. Yeah. Um, I no, I think it's good that you're being nitpicky. I think maybe the problem is with the emphasis that's currently on the paradigm of the paradigm is no boyfriend or girlfriend. That's confusing because it's like, well, why is it that? I think the paradigm is no entitlement and no like getting comfortable or like finding your identity in an insecure relationship that you feel falsely secure in but could end at any moment. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. I'm. I guess I'll shift into this. Um, into this next oh, wait, question I have one because more, one more I, thought on that. One more thought. Okay. An an alternative is we could come up with something else to call it, and that would be helpful. Right. But we do need something. There needs to be a title. Otherwise, it's very confusing to talk about who John is. Yeah. What is so? Yeah. So I think part of the issue here is is how old everybody is and what iterations we've all gone through. So like you guys have heard of the whole Joshua Harris, I kiss dating goodbye. It's not dating. It's courtship thing. Right. Like, so so there was this attempt to say, okay, we don't want aimless dating. We want this thing that is focused and going somewhere. We're going to call it courtship and blah, 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 blah. Right. And like, 
a lot of people did a lot of damage with that. Like people were like, well, you know, if you're not going to get married, then you shouldn't be whatever. And like, there's like this whole generation of girls, especially, but I think girls and boys. <coughs> Cause like, in fact, it's like Joshua Harris half lost his faith over it. Like he lost his faith and it was half over this. Like they did like this documentary about all the people his book hurt. And like in every case, you're like, what idiot youth leader would use this book that way? Like, do you have, do you people have no intelligence about like how to utilize a principle? Right. Like if you understand the problems, right. That when people call themselves boyfriend and girlfriend, they feel like they're entitled to each other. Right. They already want to be in their masculine and feminine energy entitled to each other's bodies and touch each other and so on. That decreases the intellectual and mental intimacy that grows through conversation. But if they don't have the rights to each other's body, all of that sexual energy can only be expressed one way through conversation and getting to know each other more. And there's all kinds of passion in getting to know the other person without touching them. Right. It also speeds up interest. It makes you decide what you want to do, all those kinds of things. Right. But you don't have, but all those things are designed to help you deal with the problem. Right. And so, uh, but people who've been through the whole, like I can stay goodbye courting paradigm and seeing how people use that the wrong way are going to be understandably cagey about essentially a revival of a more intentional, more biblical, less worldly paradigm. Right. What it's, the people di- it's the difference it... between the problems of legalism and anarchy, right? The problems with modern dating in the world is anarchy. It, people do whatever they want and it produces all the problems that come with all of the hot sins of lust and whatever. But if you say, well, we're going to put this structure around it and this structure is very important. Well, now you're going to be moving towards the dangers of legalism. And people get really concerned about that. But like C.S. Lewis said, we're usually most concerned about the mistake we're least likely to commit. So in licentious generations, people get really concerned about legalism. They're afraid of Puritanism, you know? And in Puritan generations, everybody's afraid of licentiousness, right? Right now, we have an incredibly promiscuous, enormously damaging, weightless, directionless, non-total just completely ridiculous idea of what a romantic relationship is supposed to be like. And it's wrecking people's capacities for commitment. It's keeping people from forming families. It's destroying people's fertility. People are not enjoying each other and the genders are not experiencing the wealth of the complementarity of male and femaleness together. And God has given us all the tools we need to not suffer from that. All we can do is put some of those tools together and obey them. Call whatever you want. But we have to overcome the worldliness of our time. Right. That's like the whole the whole point of, of the, the dating paradigm. <laughs> you literally just explained it. But I, I was gonna uh, shift into well I was gonna ask you, Christina, what like from a female perspective, I know you kinda talked about it at the beginning, you were like about how it made you feel and whatnot. But like I don't know, if you wanna like dive deeper into like like when somebody like when John came up and said that to you, obviously like you were you were kind of like shocked. But throughout the process, how did this whole process make you feel slash like, how, like what, like, yeah, I guess, how did it make you feel like, yeah. what did yep. this do? Because most of the negative feedback was from women on the first podcast. They didn't like it. They thought that it was not relational and they thought that it was, that the word was legalistic. They thought it was legalistic. Really? And so, really? They thought yeah, it, was it was non-relational? Yeah. They thought that it was like a, like a. Like a check, a checklist. Because it was rules. Like a, I, I mean, maybe yeah. it's because it's called the paradigm, and that sounds weird. Um, no, I think I think the reason why some women thought that is because you don't have the security of calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend, and okay. this kind of like the stasis that that creates. So you're like comfortable, and they're like, "Well, we're boyfriend and girlfriend, mm-hmm. so no guy's gonna jump out of the woods and you know accost me, and no woman is gonna be, no woman's supposed to be making plays for my man." And so we have this space in which to get to know each other where there's not inordinate pressure on us. I think that, and so we can take our time. And I think that was the idea. I think it's a misguided idea. I I think it has a false romance built into it, but I think that's the idea that like, well, the guy, would you say this guy could just leave whenever he wants. Right. Which also just to briefly uh, go back to the boyfriend and girlfriend titles thing too. One thing that was clear that we made clear, um, also was like we weren't changing any of the ways that we were doing 
the dating paradigm. Like we weren't changing any of the underlying assumptions. We weren't changing like, Oh, now, now this has like become something new. Um, like this, we were still using the same assumptions in how we were dealing with one another. I mean, kind of, I mean, we did both offer each other our exclusivity and say, if we are going to go on dates with other people, we'll tell the other person first. And right. I mean, but that's right. Part of- but, um, but to your question, I felt very valued and important and worth pursuit and respected. And I think, uh, sorry, I'm distracted by our side chat here. Um, <laughs> I think, I think it felt very relational to me because what I heard John say was he was more interested in getting to know me than enjoying my body and he was he was more interested in like respecting um my uh my autonomy than in gaining rights to me on any level um and then because we weren't um kissing or extended cuddling we were we were able to talk a lot more Uh, i we got to know each other very quickly and very deeply because we were talking all the time. Um, well, because we had nothing else to do. <laughs> and it Precisely. Was, that is great. so critical. Right. Right. Um, so that's part of the reason I think we could make our, you have a later question about how could, how can you know so quickly whether or not you want to marry someone? Um, well, but, we weren't go. Yes. Nick. Before you do that, Christina, I just want to make it really clear why this is more relational because If it's expected within a dating culture that you're going to get, there's going to be kissing, groping, and ultimately sex relatively early in a relationship, then a a woman doesn't really know why she's being asked out again, right? Like if, if, if that's supposed to progress, because in some sense, it doesn't really matter which woman you are, if very early on in a relationship, you're giving those things away and the man is taking and enjoying them because if he doesn't know you that well, it doesn't make that big a difference that it's you and not some other woman. What makes the most difference is that it's a woman, right? The male, his maleness wants to connect with that womanness, and what every woman wants to know, both in their dating relationship, in their relationship, and ultimately when they're a wife, is it matters that I'm this woman and not another woman. That's what makes this a relationship. The fact that he wants to marry you, a particular woman, Christina Flaherty, is what makes your relationship a relationship. Right. And so if you're a woman and you you wonder if you're going to get a second date or a third date. Right. And the guy calls and says, hey, would you like to go out again? Like when John called you the second time and said, would you like to go out again? You didn't have to think, I wonder if it's because he's he's hoping to stick his tongue in my mouth this time or to grab my body. No, it was like he's not going to touch you. So if he wants to go out with you again. It's because he wants to talk to you again. And, and what matters is that you're you. And so in, if you look, it depends on how you look at it. If you look at it from what normally happens in physical relationships, in modern dating relationships, and if you collate with that with what's actually happening within this paradigm, every time that guy calls you up, he's saying, I want more of you. Like sapientially, like your mind, your heart, who you are as an individual person. And then after we, I decide I want that individual person, then we'll get to that that person has a female body and I, I desperately want to grab hold of it. Does that make sense? And so I think this model is much more relational. I think it's infinitely more relational. I think that the modern dating paradigm is exceedingly unrelational, especially the way guys end up proceeding through the promiscuity of it. I was, that's like interesting because what it sounds like to me is that when people say that it's not relational, they really just don't have a clue what relation, hmm. what re- being relational is. Like I didn't honestly, like I, I struggle with that as well. Like, like I, I, like when it comes to, to like dating and stuff like that and girls, it's like, like my desire is that I want to have sex with them. Like, that's what I want. But like a relationship outside of marriage has nothing to do with that. And so if I like, I don't know, like what you just said, just like kind of blew my mind because, because these people aren't complaining when people say like, this is legalistic they're not complaining. They're just immature and they just don't know what a relationship is supposed to look like. Okay. Well, let's, let's try to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? That they're, that they, that they, like Christine said before, that they missed the point, but they have a point, right? That like, 
you can understand a 24 year old girl saying, look, it's relational. If I get to call it a relationship, like if I get to wake up in the morning and know that I have a relationship with, you know, Eric, right. And I, and like, Eric is going to text me and going to call me. And I know who the man in my life today is going to be. That's a relationship. And if I'm in a relationship, that's not, not called a relationship. There's no label. There's no agreement. There's no expectation of exclusivity. Then I don't know if I'm in that kind of a relationship. And so it's not relational. Now, I think that's misguided, but I think you have a point, right? The problem is, is that biblically speaking, the male-female romantic relationship is rooted in the totality of life. The only way you can give yourself sexually to another person is if you give yourself entirely to another person. That's completely different than the modern paradigm. Modern paradigm, you can give just your genital neurology to another person and that's it. Like you can you can slice it up however you want to slice it up, right? You can say, okay, I'm going to give you my sexuality and I'm going to give you my temporary commitment or however you want to slice it up. And within the Christian paradigm is, and, th- and this is where that Halstead's book um, lays us out. If biblically speaking, you have no rights to a woman's body because you have no rights to her, until you give yourself wholly to another, that the giving is comprehensive and Christianly speaking can only be comprehensive. Then a true Christian relationship is a relationship that is comprehensive, at least romantically speaking. That's why it's rooted in a covenant. And it's why it's as long as both people are alive and the people are expected to live with each other, give their fertility to each other, be exclusive sexually with each other, etc., care for one another in sickness and in health and so on. And so, the dating relationship is unrelational in that it rejects God's plan for comprehensiveness. And usually the woman that, or the person that that most hurts emotionally and in the long term really hurts a lot is the woman because the woman wants, she feel, usually she, usually she feels more in, in t- intently the desire for comprehensiveness in the relationship. Because if you, if you have a child, you become extremely vulnerable. You need everything that that man has to give, not just his sexuality. And you, and if you're going to give everything to that other person, you want to be able to give all of yourself and receive all of themselves in return. And so in my view, this, this idea that you don't have a relationship until you have a comprehensive one, in a way, is way, way more relational. And I would argue, too, way, way more romantic. And this is what I felt um, about the dating paradigm and dating John. It was very romantic for me um, because it was so personal. It was so relational. And we were such good friends. Our dates were so much fun. They were exciting. And I felt seen and I felt known um, without like sometimes when you go into physical intimacy, that's all it is and the the woman can feel very unseen um, and used probably right it, it, well and yeah, the date is maybe. a prelude to sex right 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 or whatever you're going to get for it rather than it's a thing in itself right but i felt so interested in by john and th- i mean that just makes me come alive it was such a good feeling um because he he not only was interested in me because i'm beautiful he actually i actually commented to him about this he didn't comment on my looks for a long time like once in a while he'd say you look pretty like and i was like why doesn't he ever say anything doesn't doesn't he think i look good um and when i finally brought it up like months into our dating relationship he's like i didn't want you to think that i'm here because you're pretty you are interesting and godly and I admire your character. And I was like, all right, all right. And I mean, he also affirmed how I looked, which makes me feel good. But um, it's a firmer base for our relationship and our friendship. And it gives me more certainty that if we do get married, even when our honeymoon infatuation stage wears off, we're still going to have things to talk about. We're still going to enjoy life together because... We were like, our big pictures are the same big picture. We're going in the same direction. We've talked about it. We enjoy doing life alongside each other. And, and those things are the basis for middle-aged, sexu- middle-aged sexual life anyway. Like if you want to have a vibrant sexual relationship from young life, the wife of your youth, so to speak, to like middle age and on, middle-aged sexual like 
a rich middle-aged sexual life is rooted in your your love for each other your desire for each other it's not like it's not rooted in like young looks like if that's what it's rooted in then you're likely to have affairs right Mm -hmm. so i i think that's i think that's really important i also think i also want to make one quick point women either do or should have a really hard time believing the things men say if the man believes that based on what he says he may or may not soon get to sleep with her men will not say what they really think they won't push things as far they won't be as decisive they won't because they're 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 trying to get her to feel a certain way rather than tell her plainly about himself. And by taking out this idea that, look, look you're not going to sleep with her for the foreseeable future, right? And you're not even going to put your hands on her for the foreseeable future. If, you, if a guy gets that lodged in his mind, he'll just, well, what does he have to gain? Like, he just, just speaks frankly, just be himself. Why not? If she doesn't like him, he doesn't like him. Who cares? And it, you just you just cannot believe a man who thinks that he's going to get his hands on you soon because it, it, whether or not he wants to admit it, whether or not he really feels it, he is adjusting what he's doing and how he's behaving to get at you because you're a woman and he desires you, which is fine. And so the, the artificial stopping of that and being like, look, you're not going to touch her allows him to just shrug his shoulders and just be himself. And I think that therefore the attitude of the man and the believability and his the focus of his conversation and where his mind goes in that conversation, when you take out some of those things, it just changes who a man is in a relationship. And I think that's more romantic. Because a woman can be like, oh, he's not just trying to get in my pants. This is who he is. Which is good. Right. That's, that's kind of a good... Uh, well, okay, so one of the main questions that people brought up to me after, after these podcasts was... Uh, the college students would like kind of they come up to me and they'd ask me like, okay, I have a girlfriend. I, I listen to the podcast. I have a girlfriend. She like we've been dating for like a year or six months or three months or whatever. Like we're not going to get married anytime soon because we're in college and we can't. And we have fallen into some like sexual sin and stuff. Um, and and basically like just like laid out all the things that we've talked about of, of why the normal dating is terrible, but they're like, but like, we really like each other and we're not going to stop dating, but we like, like basically like we understand your guys' paradigm, but we don't like how, how like, they're like, what do I do? Because we want to date and we want to be, we want to get married, but we're not going to get married right now because we're in college. I, I would, I told them like, I was like, you should break up and not be an exclusive relationship because that's like, I don't like, I kind of was just like, I don't care that you want to date. You guys are in sexual sin and in, in all this stuff. Like you should just break up and, and in, in a year or three years when you guys think you're ready for marriage, if God wants you guys to get married, like you're still going to be single and you can start dating again and, and doing things the right way. But they freaking hated that. Like college, like they, they hated when I said that. So I was going to ask, what do you say to those types of people who are just like, yeah, I understand this is the right this is the right way to do it, but just like it's mostly to college students are like, I just don't want to do it. I don't like it frustrates the crap out of me. So I'm like, what, what do you? Can I say a couple things about this? Yeah. Yeah. So I was that guy. Like literally I started dating Alexi the beginning of my sophomore year. She was a freshman. We dated for like three and a half years. We didn't have sex, but we had a lot, all kinds of struggles with like trying to keep our hands off of each other. And it was most uh, very unsuccessful in many situations. Um, so I would say two things about this. The first is, is that, uh, let me say three things. One is you're just torturing yourself, right? Postpubescent male and females are designed to be on a trajectory towards sex, especially if they're intentionally romantically involved. The idea that you can date somebody as a adult physically and not be tortured by an extended dating relationship in which you don't have sex is insane. It is a complete misunderstanding of human biology and psychology and the nature of maleness and femaleness. It's just ridiculous. Okay. So the, the idea that you're struggling and in sexual sin is, is perfectly predictable. If you're going to try to date for three and a half years as sexually mature adults. Okay. Secondly, um, I'd say that it's not actually true. You can't get married in college. Yeah. It's not true. So the, 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 Breaking up isn't the only answer. I mean, Jesus has two solutions for people who are burning with passion. One is unmitigated celibacy, break up. 
The other is comprehensive commitment in covenant, which is marriage. Now, you might be like, well, I can't get married this young. Like people in Madison are like, you know, when you're 35 or something, you could get married. Okay, that's so dumb. Because for a number of reasons. So the first is, is that the divorce rates, because people are like, well, you'll get divorced. If you get married before you know who you are, you're going to get divorced. Well, most people don't figure out who they are until they're in their 40s anyway. Okay, first of all. Secondly, divorce rates after the age 20 do not change significantly statistically. So if you're 20 when you get married or 28 when you get married, the percentage chance you're going to get divorced is virtually identical. There's something weird about 19 where like it's different. But like if you're 20 years old or older and you get married, you have less than a 1% different chance of getting divorced than if you were 28 when you got married. So the idea that like you have to know yourself better, you have to be older to make a good choice or whatever is just not true scientifically and statistically. It's just false, right? And so you got to figure out what you're going to do, right? Like you are torturing yourself. It's not supposed to be this way. You have two choices, not one. You could break up or you could get married. Three, it's not true that if you get married young, you're going to get divorced, okay? And now think, think of it this way, right? Most people want to have kids. Okay, great. How many kids do you want to have? Well, we want to have two. Well, you might decide you want to have three or four. You don't even really know. Right. And then most people want to be married for a little while before they have kids, especially if you're not having sex before you get married. Right. So why wait till you're 28 or 29? Like if you don't find the right person, fine. Like if you just don't find a suitable person, it's fine. Like I think Christina's like not 21. Right. But the point is, is that the point is, is that if you find a suitable person and you marry, then you are enjoying those. You still are enjoying young years with each other usually without children for a while in a way that's really helpful. And like Jill and some people are like, well, maybe you won't finish college. Like people are terrified. Their daughters aren't going to finish college if they get married while they're still in college. First of all, it takes a year to make a human anyway. So even if they get married and they get pregnant, like immediately, you still got nine month burn before it's over. Right. But it's just, it's workable. And I remember Jill Reese, who is dating Tim in college. She said, she said, after I got married, were the best semesters of my of my education. I wasn't burning with passion. I wasn't worried about my boyfriend. I had the, a roommate that I had chosen. I, I, I did the best I ever done in school. And I think Tim Fields felt similarly. So the idea that like, it's going to interrupt your college education, it's going to, my biggest issue is with Christian parents who want to say, look, if you get married, I won't pay for your college anymore or help you financially. And I think that's what that's, we need to repent of. I think Christian parents need to decide whether or not they want their kids living in promiscuity or making godly decisions. And if they're 20 or older and they're, they're with somebody that you think is a suitable partner who is a believer and they say they want to get married because they, they adore each other, but they're burning with passion. I think Christian parents need to repent of their worldliness and allow and help their kids get married while still helping them attain the very long-term education that has been unheard of in the history of the world. I mean, the artificial nature of being in school till you're 36 is going to affect our sexuality and our fertility. And Christians are going to have to find a way if we want our kids to be highly educated to bring the two together and not be like, well, make sure you completely finish your education before you get married. Well, that's just a recipe for promiscuity. Um, and harm of various kinds. Yeah, I was going to say, it, feel, it feels like, and, and this might be getting into a little bit of, I don't but know, I think, but I, little... but I think your your instinct is right, Andy, in being like, yes, the you can't stay here. Like this... That's what I was going to say. This is unrepentant sin, basically. If you know what you're doing is wrong, and you're continuing to do it, and you're just kind of like, I don't care, that just feels like like way worse than, than getting, or getting like breaking up. I, I don't know. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is breaking up would be difficult in some ways, but right. Like Nick was saying, like you don't, that kind of difficulty is mitigated by the fact that the amount of untold horror that is going to come from you staying in this and the difficulty, both the difficulty in staying in it and trying to remain chaste, or if you don't, the amount of difficulty that's going to come later in your life and especially in your marriage is, is, is significant. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I would get super frustrated when people would ask that question, but I was going to, um, uh, Christina, uh, when it comes to like, we, we obviously we went over this a little bit, but when it comes to, uh, 
to like the time thing, that's that's also another big one is like, I can't get married in, in six months or I can't get married in, in five months. Like that's that's just messed up. People don't work that way. Uh, you talked about this a little bit, but like what, th- there was really no, uh, like there's no issue with that. Like as you were talking about, like did that cause any problems? The fact that John wanted to go extremely fast or, or what, what people say is lightning fast. speed, honestly, six, six, six months is slow, John, I'm going to do it in, in three. Uh, okay. when I, when I get a, no, but, but honestly, like, did that seem, what did you think? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it felt, um, at first it felt very quick and unrealistic. Well, I had heard Nick say before, like everyone should be able to know in about six months. And I had felt that from previous relationships of like at the six months or even a few, maybe four or five months. I sometimes I'd be like, yep, I I know this person is a no or like, yep, I could marry this person or not. Um, But when I started dating John in October, I was planning to quit my job for the second semester. And I'm a teacher and my and I was planning to go traveling which they, those travels have been canceled because of the virus. Um, but my students would tease me a lot and would say, you're going to go to Australia, meet some guy and get married in the summer. And I mean, the kids didn't know this, but I knew I was dating John, but I still said to them because I thought it was true. There is no scenario in which I would be getting married this summer. I mean, how could I possibly meet and get engaged and marry someone that quickly? That will not happen. Um, and that's going to happen. So it was shocking even to me, but like, as I was going through the process and by the time I was like, we were really, John was, John was looking at rings like first week of January. We had met in October, which, uh, yeah, that's three months. And that freaked me out a little. And I was like, John, I, you seem to be looking at rings. I am not ready. Um, I need more time. Can we talk about this in one month from today? And just not talk about it till then. And he's like, sure. He was very gracious in giving me time, but very clear that he didn't want it to be slow. Um, so I processed with the Lord and I continued to get to know John in that month. And I took some like extended time to like be with the Lord and ask him. And coming out of that time with the Lord, I I was like, yes, there are a lot of people in my life who think this is way too fast. But the important people in my life, like my parents and like close friends, not all my close friends, but many that I respected, they were in agreement. My heart was now at peace in it. And I even felt like if we were to go slower, we would be at risk of being out of step with wisdom and out of step with like where the Lord was taking this relationship in his timing. Um, so by the time we came to February 14th or 15th, when we had the conversation, I was ready. It was on February 14th. It was, it was very romantic. It was very romantic. It was Valentine's day Yeah, in a holiday cliche kind of way. Yeah. It's really good. Uh Yeah. So let me tell you a quick story that is kind of a foil to this. I remember, um, when I was pastoring in Florida, I was in a car with four other guys who are just a few years older than me. Um, all of whom were not really believers or were kind of like nominal, you know, in their Christian faith when they were dating and whatever. And we were talking about how long they dated for. And um, I was like, I was like, yeah, my Lex and I dated for like three years. It was an eternity. It was an eternity. It was such torture. And they were like, oh, huh. And I was like, wait, how long did you date your wife? And, and one guy was like, seven years. And I was like, huh. And I turned to the other guy, how about you? He's like, like six and a half years. I showed the other guy, I was like, how about you? He's like, I mean, I think it was a little under 10 years. And I was like, you guys are all getting laid. And they were like, oh yeah. Like the, the, like the presence of like impurity, frankly, like just promiscuity in a relationship, the predictable result, even among people who you would think would be generally, um, moral men. There's something about there's something about the you like either either you use the gift of sexual energy in your favor or you don't. Mm-hmm. To use the sexual energy that exists romantically between people to move you towards the real intimacy of conversation in which you creatively and intentionally and in lots of interesting ways like really really learn each other on the level that you're going to be spending time together through 99.9% of your marriage. Right. Or you allow your sexual energy to 
take you to the bedroom, which is going to be like 1% of your marriage, like as a lot of the time you spend together and really make you feel in a way like you already really, really know each other when you really don't. And then that really undermines the hunger to know the other person more deeply because sex has a, an effect of making you feel very bonded to somebody. And so the desire to know them more deeply through talking abates, which both, both makes the relationship more boring, shallower, and based on the wrong stuff. And you have to make a fundamental choice. And the way you should make this choice if you're a Christian is to trust God to repent of what he calls sin and to trust him to do what he calls right and to obey and not calculate what you'll get and what you'll lose and try to play some game based on some of the wisdom of it. Do what God says and then determine what your dating paradigm is going to be based on that, based on a realistic and wise understanding of human nature and sexuality, leading towards the kind of relationships that God authorizes. and then. Do what you will. Whether you follow this exact paradigm or not, there can be some variations. But the biblical guidelines are very, very direct. Well, and also, I think for like young, young people, that was a dog. Uh, I heard a dog oh bark. God, um, she's, upset. she's upset about something. No. Uh, for, for young people, uh, I think like an important thing is that like, and something that I try to do as well is just being like, like, I don't know what I'm talking about in a lot of certain things. And like, when it comes to stuff, like, like older people have gone through these things, like, like they've already gone through this stuff. Like we should probably just shut up and listen. And because sometimes when I'm talking to people my age, I'm like, I'm like trying to explain it to them because you guys have explained it to me. And it's like they look at me with blank stares like I'm speaking in a different language or like it, like they don't want to understand it or something like that. And I think that like what you just said, I think it's like a trust issue with God. I think being honest with ourselves as young people, the people that are my age and in college age and being like, you're not like I'm not some super wise Christian guy. You're, people our age are immature Christians. We don't know what we're talking about in a lot of situations. We haven't. We've lived 20 years, 23 years, maybe. We, we don't have a lot of experience and sometimes being like, like half, like actually like 90% of the time I talk to John is like, dude, I'm like struggling with this. And then John will be like, yeah, dude, you should stop doing this thing. And sometimes I'll be like, I don't want to stop. And he'll be like, yeah, but you should stop. And I don't always understand why, but I know that when John tells me I should stop doing something, he's not doing it because he wants to ruin my life. He's doing it because he's done the same things. I'm doing it because he wants I'm a drill surgeon. Because he's a drill surgeon. <laughs> right. Because he, He's doing surgery on Andy for his good. He's, exactly. He's he's drilling my heart. And and honestly, like, but but honestly, like he's not doing it because he because he wants to ruin my life because he wants to see me feel like pain. He's doing it for the exact opposite reasons because he wants to see me me flourish and become more like Christ. And I think that half of the problem here with the dating thing uh is that people my age just don't want to listen. And they just want, they're just hard headed and they're prideful and they're full of themselves. And like, and, and they're think, shallow and they're shallow. Yeah. Cause, cause which I, not, I fall into all those categories. Deep, yeah. When you're and not I a don't, deep person, sexuality becomes oversized and out of control, right? If you're shallow and you don't have a lot of self-control, right? Then the visceral things, pleasing your nervous system. though so all those things become huge. Cause that's all you really are. You're just a vapor. And so binging on Netflix and having sex and playing video games and eating food and like all the stuff that pleases your nervous system is like all the stuff you're actually really interested in because that's all that interests you. Right. And so then you date a girl and what do you think is going to happen? Like yeah. all, just all that matters is what affects your nervous system. So how pretty she is and how much she flatters you. Cause that makes you feel good. And whether or not she evokes some kind of powerful emotion. So if she's like very temperamental and she makes you feel a lot because she's crazy, like you think that's cool and then you want to get your hands on her. And like, that's all ridiculously terrible. That's like a recipe for future misery, right? What you, you need to do is like care about more stuff, care about stuff that's ethical and aesthetic and moral and spiritual and that's interesting and that's outside of your present experience and that's international and like 
historical and how people grow and how people change and who people are and like just become a more interested person. Then you'll become a more interesting person and you'll find different things interest you. And then more people will be interested in you and you can find a lady that also man. Right. And so part of it is just, you've got to mature because otherwise like obviously sex is going to take an outplaced space. And if it does, and, or it's going to be something that's coming out of something that's not healthy, like some kind of addiction, right? Like it's it's about your stress or your insecurities or your wounds or your whatever. And your self-control, the two things that are going to make your marriage work is not whether or not you can be interested in sex. What's going to make your marriage work in the future with another person is A, whether or not you're interesting, whether or not you they continue. Because no, no woman is going to stay with you because you're great in bed, okay? There's just too much else going on. Right. A woman enjoys her husband long term over the course of her entire life because she finds him interesting. She thinks he's funny. She likes talking to him. She likes doing things with him. She likes getting the normal stuff done with him. She likes being around him. That's what make mar- makes marriages work. Right. Not sex. Right. And it's important to recognize that. So therefore, she is dependent on two things in a man for her to be happy over the long term. A, whether or not he's interesting. B, whether or not he has self-control. And what can be a better school of that than him not putting his hands on her and talking to her instead and interesting, make being interesting to her. The, 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 I mean, people like, like the self-control, like, think about this when she's 41 and you have three kids at home and you're traveling, what is her true comfort that you're not going to jump into bed with some 26 year old you meet? Right. And part of the answer is, Because when she and you were madly in love before you got married and she was your one, and not only were you attracted to her, but you loved her, you still had the self-control not to put your hands on her. And if she was your one, the wife of your youth, the infatuation of the days of your hormonal possession, if in those days you could keep your hands off of her, what chance does some 26-year-old bimbo you meet on the road have? Like, like that is the gift you give your wife in the future rather than the enjoyment you take from her now. And so like, there's always wisdom of God built into everything. And you don't know what that wisdom is, especially if your age starts with a one or a two or possibly even a three. And so therefore the only way you can, but not a four, not a four, but not a four. No, but like (laughs) the only, therefore the only way the simple can be wise according to the Bible is to obey the statutes of the Lord. He makes the simple or stupid wise because you don't have to know why everything is true. If you will obey the one who knows everything that's true. And if you'll just simply obey what God says in the area of dating, you will reap benefits that you won't understand until you do them, which will happen much later. But if you say, if I don't understand something, I'm not doing it. And you just do whatever you please. You're going to get all kinds of unintended consequences that are going to wreak havoc on your future life that you didn't intend but that you still kind of deserve because you wouldn't listen. And I say that meanly like that, not because I don't care about your future suffering, but because I want to prevent it. Yeah. I think like one of the craziest things that I, that I heard Christine say, it was the fact that when, when John, like she was like, why, why doesn't John say like talk about her looks or whatever, you know? And like, John's like, I don't, I don't like, John is just like, that's not the reason I talk to you. Or like, that's not the reason I'm dating you. I think that's like crazy and, and very like, that's not crazy. Like in a bad way, it's, it's crazy in a good way of like, I, I don't know, dude, I've never heard anybody even, even like think that way or say anything like that. I for sure don't think that way. Like, and I want to one day, but right now I don't. So like, I, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I, I think that like, I think that's really cool. And it actually is like, this is this is going to be the last dating podcast. This is going to be the last one. I promise you this. Why? Because I think I think that we've like this is a really good one because I think it was very clear and we like set re- really clearly set it out. And like if you don't if you've listened to all three of these and you still are like I don't want to do this, I don't. Then whatever. Like do do you do your own thing. Ruin your own life. When it, that type when of an thing. idea. When an idea is this foreign, like when you tell people up is down, and down is up. It just takes time. Like you got to hear arguments yeah. for it. It just takes them time to like be like, maybe there's something they got to go through first. Like, well, maybe there's something to that or wait, there's more to it than I thought. 
oh, wait, maybe that's right. Wait, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I need to change. Like, the, it's a process. And so yeah. don't, you got to be patient with people, you know, <laughs> don't be, you know, I, God is very patient with people and you got to, right. or you can, or you can yell. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I do struggle. I, I do have to be, be more patient with people, but I like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, do you guys have anything else you wanted to, to say about all of this or any other comments you wanted to make? I actually do. I have like three more things to say. Can I do yeah. it time for me yeah, to say dude. them or no? We have no time limit. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say, another reason that I really liked um, the paradigm and felt um, like felt really good about it is because when John presented it, it was clear to me that he had a plan. He wasn't he wasn't just in this, let's just see what this is like. I just I don't really know what I want. I don't know what you want, but let's just kind of do that together. He had a clear plan and it valued me and like there was an end goal and we weren't gonna I knew we wouldn't get lost in okay, are you ever gonna propose? Like aren't I worth enough to you to like get married? Um, he, he didn't say, did you tell people this? He didn't say, I love you to me until he proposed because he said, um, I want it to cost me something. I want you to know my love. I don't just give it as, as a phrase. Like I want to be offering you my life when I am giving you my love. And I was was so intense. I was so shocked. It's I was like, like, okay, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> but I mean, it made me feel like a million bucks. And then when he did propose and he did say, I love you, like, I know he meant it. I know he is giving me all of his best. Like, he's not holding anything back. Like, he's putting it all on the line. Um, so that was a really good part of the paradigm for me. Um, yeah. And then a second thing I wanted to say, Nick was talking about how you know, we just need to be deeper people and be more interesting. Um, And I think part of the fear for people in dating is that they think they're not interesting and they're afraid of confronting that in themselves. And if there isn't a physical part of the relationship, they'll be exposed as an uninteresting person and they'll be like, well, this person is bored with me. I'm bored with them. We have nothing to talk about because like the most interesting thing about them is their body. Right. Like that's what they think. Right. Yeah. Right. They're afraid that that is the actual truth. And so uh, what I would encourage people with is to confront that in themselves um, apart from a dating relationship and don't get your identity in. I have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend. So that means I have a certain status or that's a mask I wear to cover up who I truly am. Like confront who you really are. Maybe we are shallow, uninteresting people and like bring that before the Lord over and over in prayer and um, with godly friendships and um, have mentors and like work on your character and don't be afraid of how shallow we are. Confront it. And that is like taking steps towards depth and the Lord will meet you there. And, and that is attractive to other people is like seeing that you're trying and that you're willing to be vulnerable and you're not hiding behind anything. So that was the second thing. I don't remember the third thing. That was a big thing that I had to confront too, was I had, I think, um, had some like previous experience when I was significantly more shallow. Um, where I had experiences of, of girls who I was going on dates with who just, who did get bored. And so I think, um, it was, there were ways that I then did try to compensate with that in previous relationships by like trying to avoid that part of it. And to be able to, to like reconfront that with, with Christina was like something we had to have conversations about a couple different times where I'd be like, I feel insecure right now because I feel, I just, I want to be impressive or interesting to you. And I feel like I'm not. And like to be able to have to work through that was, was very helpful. He, he was so afraid of being boring. And I was like, what, what if I'm boring? Why shouldn't I be afraid of that? But yeah, I mean, we just talked That's about like it. such an interesting thing. Cause like the thought of like I, nobody like by nature is an uninteresting person. Everybody's created in God's image. Therefore they're, 
they're interesting. I think the lie that Satan has us believe is that we're not interesting and therefore like God has to, wants to take no interest in us and that like, yeah, maybe like, like, like you might have to dig deep to find out who you are, but it doesn't mean that like deep down inside, you're not somebody that God created. I think like, I've never really had the issue with thinking that I wasn't interesting, but I know that people, people do have that. And I think that it's just a, a line of crap. It's, it's not true. Like people are interesting because God created them that way. And it, if you don't feel interesting, it's because you just got to dig deeper. You have to understand yourself a little bit more and a little bit more every day. And I do think that's true. I do think there's an other end to it. Uh, like if you swing the other way of, or there's another truth in there too of we are all uninteresting. We are all boring and we are all just yeah. humans. Um, and there's actually some comfort in also realizing that of like, this right. doesn't hang on my own greatness, but on the Lord's. I remember on one of John and my dates, um, I had shared everything on my mind. Um, I said everything I could think of. And then in my mind, I was like, I'm out. That was it. That's all I have. And none of that was very deep. None of it was very interesting. And now what? And John was still okay. He wasn't like looking for me to be something more. And part of knowing um, that I was safe with John is I didn't have to be that some superhero that was endlessly interesting and mature. I could also just be a human. Um, and that's good to realize about ourselves and about the other person and have humility there. Yeah. I, what, what me and Christina just said are not contradicting thoughts. They're complimentary. Just, even though they sounded, they sounded di like opposite. They're not because that's like the power. Like that's like what God does. I don't know mm -hmm. how to explain it, but we didn't like, I think it's good to like, clear that up because right after I said that you were like yeah and then you said the opposite thing right. but they both work in unison you are extremely interesting and you're also just a human being and it's like that's insane I don't know it's good it's, to know yeah so to feel the truth of both of those and carry them both in your soul in a very real way yeah that's good yeah so anything you guys have anything else you want to want to yeah, say one or? more one more okay, okay. my last okay. thing is that um I just want to say I want to add my perspective on why the paradigm is good and why limiting physical um, interaction, physical intimacy is really helpful. Um, in my experience, when you're dating someone and you get to that point where you're like, you're not sure if you should break up or you should keep dating, um, there are a couple of things that can happen every time you like get into this, uh, get into that place where you're like either fighting or there's a disagreement or it's like, are we compatible or are we not? And you can either in the face of that conflict break up or you can solve the problem. Or if you have a third option, which is ignore the problem and just enjoy each other physically, people will always take that third option because it's easiest and it's really gratifying in the moment. And so then you just extend the decision. Well, are we going to break up or are we going to solve the problems? Well, neither. We're just going to keep enjoying each other physically. Um, so that I, I think can extend a lot of relationships longer than they should go um, instead of just ending them or getting married. Which there is, I think there is like, there is something real there, which is so um, Tim Keller talks about how like sex is meant to be like a covenant renewal service. Like it's, it's part of, part of what's happening in sex is it's like, it is a way of renewing the covenant that you've made in marriage. And um, so if that's, if that is what sex is meant for, then sexual, exp what sexual expression does is it, it like rebinds people together. And so I think the, the way that it can be used really unhelpfully and the reason why relationships get so extended, if that's happening significantly before, before you guys are married is because you are like a, there is a rebinding that is happening. Um, that's happening instead of like Christina said, like actually solving a problem or, or realizing, Hey, this isn't, this isn't where I want to go. Yeah. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. That's it. That's good though. That's all good. Um, yeah. So I, I think I, I'm not going to say, I mean, I did say it earlier, but this is probably the last dating podcast. <laughs> probably. I, I'll change it to probably questions. 
Right. Good. Yeah, that's true. Actually, it's probably not. Um, but that was really good. This is what tends to happen uh, with Andy is he'll say something is a certain way. And then uh, and then a few weeks later, it changes. He may be yeah. wrong, but he's never in doubt. That's right. Dang, dang straight. Uh, I, I think Nick left this. Yeah, Nick, Nick, Nick did leave. So that's why you have okay. him hearing his his right. snarky comments. You can tell because he hasn't talked in like 15 minutes. You can, <laughs> um, you but can tell yeah. he's not here yeah. because he's not. Because he's he isn't here. Uh, anyways, yeah, anyways, that was good. That was really good. So um, I think to wrap things up, I want to say listen to the Optive Music Podcast because that is really good. And then we are we came out with a new podcast. The Optive Politics Podcast. You came out with the I did. I did. I mean, Optive, not we. Like, I did. I did. It's part of the Optive Optive Network, John. And you're part of the Optive Network as well. So, yes, I could say we. Anyways, um, Optive Politics Podcast. Take a listen. Check it out. Uh, That's about it. That's all I have for this one. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for coming on, Christina. It was great. You're welcome.